Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. And we were, we were babies in that video, but I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. That was cool. That's, I hope you enjoyed that little look back through our history. That's about all the time we have to talk about where we came from. Um, but I want to get started. I, wanna, I'm, I want your help with something. A little crowd participation. Anybody down for that? Mart, Marty, you ready for a game? Yeah, he's ready. Uh, you ever played? Um, oh, there's another one. There's a, there's a male version now. Um, you have to share the spotlight a little bit. Just a little, just a little bit. Um, anybody ever played um, th- that uh, anniversary game at a wedding and everybody's dancing and the crowd gets whittled away? And then what you have at the end is the longest married couple still dancing. We're going to do that for Decided Church, okay? You don't have to dance, but I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Everybody, everybody, everybody in the room, we're going to stand, and I want to get, I want to get the crowd whittled down to the person who's been here the longest, and I don't count. Alyssa, you don't count, okay? We, can, we, we, we don't count. You can just sit down at the beginning, I guess. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Oh, yeah, she'll take pictures. See, there you go. Okay, so who's been here for at least 20 minutes? All right, everybody's still standing. Way to go. All right, how about two weeks? Oh, man. Okay. How about two months? Who's been coming here to decide it for at least two months? Okay, good. All right. A year? If you haven't been here a full year, sit down. Oh, man. How about two years? Wow. Three years. Three years? Still hanging on. How about four years? Wow. I think the only one left standing is Caitlin. We've got a young church. Should, oh, oh yeah, Emily's back there and Jeremiah. Okay, so where did we end? Four years? How about five years? Well, I know these guys. Six, seven, eight. Okay, there goes Emily. Sorry, Mrs. Powers. How about nine years? Ten? Okay. <laughs> Okay, how about 10 years? Both of you, right? And Callie. Hi, Callie. She doesn't really count either. She's on leadership. So we're excluded from the, from the, from the game. But okay, so Jeremiah and Caitlin, y'all run up here. Don't be shy. Just run up. I just have one question for you. It's not going to be painful. So Jeremiah and Caitlin have been here all 10 of those years. And I just got one question for the winners, okay? You ready? Just tell me one thing that you wouldn't change we're, we're talking about our next 10. What's one thing you wouldn't change for those next 10 years? This has got to stay the same. What do you mean? Like any, you can pick anything. You can pick the carpet color. You can pick core values. You can pick, uh, I really want Ashley to be on the soundboard. What's one thing that you don't want to change? The community. All right, community, good answer. Thank you, Caitlin. Jeremiah, what's one thing that you wouldn't want to change about this church over the next 10 years? One thing. This is a one word answer. Listen to God and do what he says. Okay, I'll take it. So he likes that core value, our number one core value. Thank you. Can you give them a round of applause? Ten years right here, Caitlin and Jeremiah. 
they've been around the longest. They know us. They know us back, backwards and forwards, in and out, and they're still here. Did you notice the next longest person was four years? So we got a young church. That's cool. Um, I have a little bit of exciting news. We're just going to get this out of the way at the beginning, but you know we've been talking about architectural plans and building plans. We've been talking about getting ready to build a building, and I just want to give you a sneak peek for the whole church to see what the building might look like that we build. This is not a complete rendering, okay? Things could change still. They still got pencil to paper. We're still making a lot of adjustments, but you can look there um, and see kind of what the building will look like. I think there's another picture that kind of shows the Sprouts wing. That's the Sprout side of the church. The other side that you were looking at first is the auditorium side. And listen to this. You want to hear a crazy stat? Anybody just love nerding out over stuff like this? The new, the new lobby, that glass part of the building that runs down the middle, the new lobby will almost be as big as this whole building. Okay? Talk about connecting. Talk about time for intentional conversations and room to fellowship, room to sit down and not feel crowded. That's what I'm talking about. So we are excited. Um, don't get your hopes set completely on what you see because it's still in the very infancy stage. But that's just a little picture of what we're doing at the side of church. A new chapter begins today, right? We flip the page on all that we've been through together and we ask God, how do we build on this? Next 10, right? That's been our theme this year. It's a new direction. It's a fresh start, a revival. It's a reawakening, which is what revival means. It's one grateful look back over the shoulder to be reminded that God has prepared us for this moment ahead. For we were never meant to stay in our past, but to learn from it. A new chapter offers an opportunity like no other to refocus, to prioritize, to plan. Who are we? What's our name? What is our specific calling here in this community of Irmo? What's our identity to be over the next 10 years? And after we locked in on that, we become laser focused. We become mission minded. We go, we advance, we take ground. We're no longer downshifting and downsizing. It's time to shift upward. It's time to shift onward. Time to take some risks. Time to have some fun, time to build some faith, time to make some moves over these next 10 years. Time, there's a time to dig deep, and we experience that. There's a time to get founded, and we experience that. And then there's a time to go get. There's staying power, and staying power is mentioned 62 times in the Bible, John. And then on the flip side of that, there's going power. Going is mentioned 1,542 times in the Bible. Welcome to the next 10. Decided Church is locked in on her identity. We've emerged stronger than ever before because of a faithful God and a few good men. So what do these next 10 years look like? We have a little picture maybe of what it could look like, but the truth is we don't know. 
We don't know what the future holds. If COVID taught us anything, it's that. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what our future holds. We can't accurately predict where we'll be in the next 10 years or what we'll accomplish. But I can tell you who we will be. No matter what comes our way, no matter what we accomplish or no matter what we fall short of, I can assure you of one thing. We know who decided church will be because who we are will always far outweigh what we accomplish. To have the most impact in the kingdom over the next 10 years, decided church must live out her true identity in Christ. Here it is. She must decide to follow Jesus. So if we had to evaluate our last 10 years, moving into our next 10, this is the one question we must answer this morning. What does it mean to decide to follow Jesus? I want you to stand with me as we read the call of disciples in Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 9. This is when Jesus established his earthly ministry, and he's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and this is his call to the very first people who would ever make that decision to follow Jesus. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It says in verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's flip to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Let's pray. God, thank you for redeeming and saving sinners like me. Thank you for not leaving me in my boat. Thank you for not leaving me with my nets. Thank you for not leaving me in my lucrative career. But you called me out. You called us out and no, we're not worthy. No, we're not put together. No, we would never even pass the prerequisites. We don't have the resume to follow you, but it's an honor. Thank you for calling us out for this. Thank you that we get to live our lives in service, indebted to make you famous. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. What does it mean to decide? If we're going to learn this question, what does it mean to decide to follow Jesus? The first word we've got to break down is decide. 
decided the name of our church. We better know what that one means, right? It's what we call ourselves. We got to know its meaning. It's our name. We got to know its history. So Merriam-Webster's defines the word decide as this, to make a final choice or judgment about, to select as a course of action, to infer on the basis of evidence, to bring to a definitive end, to induce, to come to a choice. We do this all the time. At least we should when you're picking a spouse, right? You're picking a mate, you're picking a house, you're buying a car. We all make decisions. And with that word decision, it's an action word, it's an action verb, but there's a lot packed into it because it means to, it means to rule out all the other options. It's like multiple choice, right? If you don't know the answer, you cross out A and B and D and you choose C always, right? <laughs> And even if you do know the answer, you still want to just verify by what? You eliminate the other options so that the final choice is crystal clear. That's deciding. The etymology of the word, in other words, the history, it comes from Middle English, from the Latin decidere. It literally means to cut off. That's what the word decide means, to cut off. So when we decide something, we're cutting off every other option, right? It's, it's a commitment. When we decide something, it's a commitment to, to walk away from all the other options. We got to cut those off. This means, as, as a takeaway, that when we decide to follow Jesus, we're making a final choice or judgment. We're selecting a course of action based upon evidence. We're bringing the Jesus debate to a definitive end and we're coming to a choice. It means that when we've decided to follow Jesus, we've cut out all the other options. Following money, following a relationship, following a career, following fame, following popularity. When we decide on Jesus, it means we cut out. We cut off the other options. When We've come up with every, listen to this, we've come up with every excuse not to follow. And we've made sure that none of those other answers make sense. Second takeaway is decided church. We call ourselves, this, is, this word is an action verb. How many other churches do you know of that have an action verb as their name? Take a minute and think about it. Think about the churches you might have come from, the churches down the road, the churches we have just in our town of Irmo, Valentine, Dutch Fort. How many of them are action verb names? So, in other words, by God's sovereignty, he already set us apart from the get-go. He already had a special calling on this body because it's a strong verb. It's a word of action. It's a word of conviction, passion, and purpose. By definition of our name, we're to take action. By definition of who we are, we must be intentional. By definition of who we are, we got to go to the streets. We are front lines church. Sometimes we say it this way, we are the triage unit church in Irmo. I think it was spoken last night during our testimony time at worship night. Somebody came up and was speaking about what decided church meant to them. They said, you know what? 
what my husband and I were talking about Decided Church, there's so much brokenness in Decided Church. And she said, no, 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 that's not a bad thing. I'm saying that as a great thing because we understand this calling of being an action, verb, intentional, triage unit, front lines church. It means that we're being real and we're attracting real. Let's never lose that. Let's never lose that. Applications of the word. So to wrap it up, what does this first word mean? Decide. I have decided to follow Jesus. Deciding is a choice based upon evidence. What has he done in your life? Of all the things to follow, and man, does this world give us many options to follow and chase down? So many options. So what makes Jesus stick out? If he's the one that you decided to follow, then what has he done in your life? Deciding is a choice based upon evidence. Maybe, maybe you're hoping that he stirs up something in your life, but really you're evaluating the lives of others and what he's done in them. And you're deciding on Jesus based upon a changed life of someone you know. Deciding is a choice based upon evidence. Secondly, deciding is eliminating all the other options. The other options, we already talked about that, whether it be relationships, career, money, status, fame, popularity. Deciding, lastly, requires the decider to take action. It's a hard issue. That should eventually become evident. Deciding requires the decider to take action. Deciding is an action verb. So it may, the choice itself may not portray itself as action, but eventually your life ought to back up that choice. Eventually your life ought to bear the fruits of making a decision. Eventually, just like every other choice you make, whether it's what to eat for lunch this afternoon, whether it's what to eat, what you, what you open up the pantry for at 930 at night, that choice has consequences, right? It bears itself, the evidence bears itself out over time, doesn't it? Deciding to follow Jesus is the same way. No, the choice itself may not radically change you. There's no emotion required for deciding. Let me repeat that. There is no emotional prerequisite for deciding to follow Jesus. Sometimes I think we make coming to Christ, we put too much emphasis on the emotion behind it. We put too much emphasis on the buttery, the, the buttery, well, buttery butterfly, <laughs> the butterfly feelings that some people have, right? Some people do have emotional breakdowns and their life is radically changed in an instant. But for me, it wasn't an emotional choice. I just decided on Jesus. So I want you to understand this morning that deciding the choice itself does not require emotion, but a changed life will happen. The fruit will come. Deciding requires the decider to take action. That's our name. Decided. So what does it mean to decide to follow? Follow is our second word. The meaning of the word follower is an adherent. A commitment to leave something else behind in order to belong to a new ideal or person. Which is what we read about. Peter and Andrew left their nets. James and John left the boats. Matthew left the money. The etymology of the word is duete, and it's also Latin, and to me, I don't know, you had to put a little gym spin on this one, but to me, it almost sounds like duty. To follow is a duty, duete, 
I don't know if they're from the same root word. Didn't research that. You can if you want. Write me a paper. Turn it in Monday morning. I'll research it for you. But duete almost sounds like when you, when you decide to follow Jesus, it's, it's a duty, right? Now, why would that be? Not only is it our duty to follow, but it's a privilege to follow our Savior. What are your nets that you have to leave behind? Like Peter and Andrew. The Bible says immediately they dropped their nets to follow. And then James and Johnny found them in a boat with their dad, and he, and, and he said, follow me. And immediately they jumped out of the boat and followed. So to follow, catch this, if you, if you catch nothing else this morning, catch this, to follow means to leave. To follow Jesus means something that you were previously following gets left behind. What are the nets in your life? What are the boats? Where's the money? Where do those trails point that, that says, when I, when I decide, when I volunteer, when I, when I come to the understanding of what he's done in my life and I make that choice, what am I leaving behind? If you've never left anything behind, I'd question whether you're following Jesus. If you've never had to make a sacrificial choice, I'd really question whether you're deciding to follow Jesus. The nets, they're just there to keep you numb. The boats, they're nice, but they're just there to keep you bound. The money, it's enticing, but it's just there to keep you miserable. Nets, boats, money, whatever it is, what have you decided to leave behind to follow? I decided to leave my inner introvert behind to follow Jesus into a ministry calling. In 2008, I left my status, my popularity, my college to follow Jesus into a season of godly repentance and sorrow over my sin. In 2009, I had to leave my pride to follow Jesus into starting all over at Newberry College. In 2010, I left my dreams and my desires of being on the news to follow Jesus into his better plan for my life. In 2011, I left my sexual preferences to follow Jesus into pursuing my beautiful wife in marriage. Happy 11 years. In 2012, that's right, give her a round of applause. She deserves it putting up with me. 11 years, are you kidding? In 2012, I left my fear to follow Jesus into his calling once again, a calling that I thought I had ruined. In 2014, I left my common sense when I convinced 20 of us that we really needed this building. In 2020, I left my security in a good career to follow Jesus into a leap of faith going into full-time ministry supported by the church. In 2023, I'm going to be called to leave 2101 Kennerly Road behind to follow Jesus to our new home at 1017 Bickley. And don't think that that choice is going to be easy. There's been a lot of great memories and life change here. There's been beautiful stories written here. I don't want to leave this place. And I'd leave a thousand other nets behind over and over again without any reservation. Why? Because if you've ever been touched by Jesus... Think about this. If your life has ever been changed by the master who walked on waves and silenced the storm, 
If you've ever been touched by the one who restored light to blinded eyes and made the lame man walk and the deaf to hear, if you've ever been touched by the one who can only heal the broken, the one who laid down his life to conquer death, the one who ascended into heaven to give us eternal life, then you know it's an easy decision. Not easy on the follow-through, but an easy choice. Not an easy life, but an easy yes. And it's an honor to be asked to follow applications of the word. Following requires commitment. Jesus never asked any of these men we read about, hey, you want to be a fan? Come be a fan. Come, come watch the Jesus show for a little bit. Come watch me do all these miracles. Cool. I got really cool stuff in my bag of tricks. And when you've had enough, just, it's fine. You can go back home when you've had enough. Jesus never asked for fans. Fans follow for a little bit until the next shiny thing comes along. So the world presents a more lustful option. Jesus asked for followers. Following requires commitment. It requires follow through. It requires hard times. Following requires surrender and humility and trust. The, the words of the chorus that we sing all the time here. What do they say? No turning back, right? I decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Following requires once again, leaving. Following requires leaving, whether it's money, position, fame, status, people. The next verse of that song goes, the world behind me, the cross before me. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary who was murdered in the 50s, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You want me to say that again? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's following Jesus. Following requires courage. Because let me tell you, and my wife would get up here with me and echo this point, but following requires loss. Following requires isolation at times. Following requires rejection. You know how many pastors, when we were trying to plant, told us, no, 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 no. That's, that cannot be your calling. That's not it. You're not ready. You're too young. You don't, you don't have what it takes. Following Jesus, that burning passion in your heart of what you know he called you to do, that voice has to be louder than every critic. You got to believe for yourself what Jesus put in you. He will work out. Following requires courage. The words of the song go like this. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I want to be really clear when I'm talking about following Jesus this morning it has nothing to do with getting to heaven or belonging to Jesus. We don't follow Jesus to belong to Jesus. We decide on Jesus to belong to Jesus. You may be wondering, well, how do I know if I belong to Jesus? To belong to Jesus is to receive him as a free gift. John 1.12 says, but to those who would receive him, 
receive, not follow, not give up everything, not come into a full surrender, but receive him as a free gift. To them, he gave the power to become sons of God. Now, once we belong, we follow. We can't get the cart before the horse because it messes with works, salvation. Following, if you've been a Christian for just a little bit, following is hard work. Following is no cakewalk. Following Jesus requires a daily commitment. So belonging to Jesus, well, you can have that here today in an instant. Just receive him by faith. He's already done all the work. He died on a cross, shed his blood to cover your sin. He rose from the grave and he offers that eternal life to anybody who would, John 1, 12 says, receive him. Now, once she's in you, that's when it's like, I can't help but follow him. I can't help but surrender to him. I can't help but give my life in service to him. But we don't do that to get to heaven. That would be works. So becoming a Christian is by grace through faith. It's a free gift. Becoming a Christ follower is hard work. Once you belong to Jesus, you'll want to start following him. That's the fruit. That's the evidence that bears itself out. Not out of obligation, but out of privilege. And that is what Decided Church is all about. In fact, every one of our five core values flows out of that one statement. And that one statement that we've got to nail down this morning is, I have decided to follow Jesus. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales, England. And it spread all the way across Eastern Europe. As a result of this, many missionaries got called up into ministry. And there was, there was a massive flood of, of those volunteering to go throughout all the world and preach the gospel, like that song we just sang about. One family in particular got the calling to go to Northeast India and spread the gospel, a very spiritually dark, violent area. At the time, Northeast India was not divided into as many states as it is today. It was, it was a region known as Assam, and it was comprised of hundreds of violent tribes. The tribal communities were quite primitive and aggressive by nature. The tribal men, well, they were called headhunters, just like you would picture in the movies. And to earn your badge of honor, to really become a man, well, that depended on how many heads you had hanging in your tent. A man's strength, a man's ability to protect his wife was assessed by the number of scalps he had collected. Therefore, young men would try to go out and collect as many heads as possible and hang them on the walls of their house. The more heads you had, the more eligible of a bachelor you were considered to be. Into this hostile and aggressive environment came a group of Welsh missionaries spreading the message of love, right? Peace, community, and the hope of Jesus Christ. A revolutionary message. Naturally, they were not welcomed. After years of work and prayer and learning the language and more work and more prayer, one Welsh missionary successfully converted one native Indian man, his wife, 
and his two children. This tribal man's faith, guys, was so contagious. He was so on fire for God that many of the villagers wanted in on this Christianity. They wanted to believe in this God. Angered by all the commotion, the village chief summoned all of the villagers and he called the family, the initial family who had first converted, he called them to publicly renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the father instantly began singing words in his language, which would eventually become translated for us to sing over the years. And he said this, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He's saying it a third time. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Enraged at the conviction of this man, the chief ordered his savage headhunters to aim their bows at the two boys. The arrows sunk into their young, tender bodies, and both boys fell down on the blood-soaked ground. The chief turned back to the father and said, Will you renounce your new religion? You've lost both your children, and I'll kill your wife too. But the man sang these words in reply, choking through the tears, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, he sang it three times, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The chief was beside himself with fury. He ordered his wife to be arrowed down too. In a moment, she fell dead on top of her two children. She was kneeling over. And now he asked for the last and final time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your God and live. In the face of death, that man closed his eyes and cried out those final memorable lines, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Sing it again. The world behind me, the cross before me, it's all he had left. No turning back. No turning back. With a bow and arrow, he was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths came a miracle. The chief who had ordered the killings was so moved by the unwavering faith of the man he questioned. He interrogated his gathered village and said, why should a man, his wife and two children, die for a God we cannot see who came from a far away land on another world thousands of years ago? There must be some supernatural power behind this family. I too want that supernatural power. And in a spontaneous, instantaneous Leslie decision, confession of faith, right at the scene of these families' death, he brazenly declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. 
wishing that his savage headhunters would shoot him down too to pay for the sins he had just committed. But when the village heard this from the man they called chief, the whole village followed his lead, moved by the massacre that had just occurred, and they all accepted Christ as Savior. A war scene turned into a worship service. Somebody say amen. amen. That is the true story behind the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And that is the power of God on display. Catch this, when one individual makes the decision to follow Jesus, no turning back. Now, what would happen, Eddie, with a room full? If that's the power of one, imagine a whole church. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the bottom line is this, family members. In order to call ourselves decided church, we have to be decided individuals. Decided church is a people. It's not a sign by the road. Don't say that you've decided to follow Jesus if you're not listening to God and doing what he says. Don't say that you've decided to follow Jesus if you're only following when you feel it. Don't say that you've decided to follow Jesus if you're not giving freely of what you've received. Don't say that you've decided to follow Jesus if you're always demoralized because you're not taking time to memorialize. Don't say you've decided to follow Jesus if you're not being real with God, yourself, and others. See, that's precisely what following Jesus means. It's a commitment. A lot of people don't like that word. They're scared of committing to something. Following Jesus isn't for you then. Because following Jesus does cost. It isn't cheap. It isn't comfortable, it isn't glorious, it isn't safe. Instead, it's risky, it's uncomfortable, it's daily, it's humbling, it's unappreciated, it's mocked, it's lonely, it's exhausting. But if you can't come to that decision after all that he's done for you, then you don't understand how much in need of a savior you are. The commitment to follow Jesus, no turning back, should be a natural decision that any born-again believer comes to. It makes sense. It's impossible to live any other way. We've made a final choice. We've selected a course of action based upon evidence. We've brought the Jesus debate to a definitive end and we've come to a conclusion it means that we've cut out all the other options it means that we've come up with every excuse not to follow we've come up with every reason to opt out and we've chosen anyway in a moment we're going to sing the words of that song I wouldn't be surprised if from heaven we hear four more voices join us. A husband, a wife, two boys. 
as the worship team comes to lead us, I want a revival of commitment to sweep this room. A commitment of ourselves and our church to follow Jesus, just like that Indian father and his family. In fact, I'm sure that family is hand in hand right now. And I'd like to join them. Let's join them by linking up with either person beside you as the worship team comes to lead us. God, we need a revival of identity. We're asking for an outpouring, an awakening of surrender and commitment to follow you. Burn into our hearts what it means to decide and what it means to follow. Sweep through this room today, Jesus. Pluck people out of complacency and apathy. Do your work, Holy Spirit. We depend on you, church. You do business with God. If you need to come forward, do that. I'll meet you here at the stage. If you need prayer in the back from someone with a lanyard on, you move as we sing. For those that have currently decided to follow, you link up hands with those on either side of you and you recommit. Today is a moment for re-surrender. It's a chance to lock in on our identity, on that choice that we made so long ago and rekindle that fire, rekindle that awakening of all odds against us, we're still going to follow. The world behind me, the cross before me, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back.